Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Can we, I tell you what, worship team, uh, that just, uh, wasn't that good? Wasn't that just amazing? Oh, good. I haven't got to meet you. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Foothills, and God's got something big for us. So before we get going, though, I just want a big shout-out to our campus over in Pendleton. Can we say hello to them this morning? How are you guys doing in P-Town? So many great things. Hey, I'm sure we're all familiar with the phrase or the term bait-and-switch or false advertising. They're kind of the same. You know what that is. is when someone presents something to you, that looks good, and they kind of build it up, but when you get it, it's a letdown. It's not quite, it didn't meet the standard of what you thought it was going to be. It was bait and switch. It was, it was false advertising. We've all probably been victim to that. We saw something, or we were presented something that looked good, and when we got it, it was realized, man, I've been taken. I remember I had um, a guy that I knew that was a general manager of like a Ford Mercury back in the day. This was in the 80s, Ford Mercury dealership. And I'm not going to blame him for bait and switch, but I, I, I was reading the brochures on this car. There was a brand new car in the showroom there. It was a Mercury Topaz. I don't even know if you know what that is. <laughs> but anyways, I got caught up in that thing looking at the advertising, how this car was going to change my life. And it did. By the way, it did. <laughs> I bought that car, and it was an amazing car for about a week. And we lived, this is when we lived in Florida, we lived out like a mile down these dirt roads that were just like potholes, and that car, after about a week, it was just like you're driving, your whole, everything was shaking, it was like, like this, after a week, oil's leaking, I mean, everything, it's falling apart, and I'm thinking, what just happened to me? I was, I was kind of a victim of bait and switch, I got a lemon, but it happens all the time, and, and people marketing to us they kind of play on our weaknesses to, to build their products up, and so we buy them only to find out that we've been, we've been sold a bill of goods. And a lot of companies are, are caught in that, and they, I'm giving you some examples of some companies that um, face some lawsuits because of some false advertising. These are big companies. We all know these companies. Kellogg, the Kellogg, you know, their cereal company, they said that Rice Krispies could boost your immune system, but unfortunately that was a false claim. They also claimed that mini wheats could improve a child's focus by 30%. Just made that up. It wasn't even true. They, uh, they were caught. It, it was false advertising. Dan and Yogurt. Um, Dan and Yogurt decided they were going to have this premier brand of yogurt called Activa. And uh, they claimed, they made some claims it was scientifically and clinically proven to boost your immune system. And so they were, they were charging 30% more than their regular yogurt with this premier brand, only to find out that it wasn't clinically or scientifically proven. They lost $45 million in a lawsuit because of that. But even worse than that is there's a supermarket chain in the UK that was advertising this hamburger meat. They found out later when they did an analysis it had been laced with contaminated horse meat. Nobody likes false advertising. None of us want to feel like, hey, that's not what was presented, what I got. And, and Christianity, we don't really have false advertising or bait and switch. We have another term for that. It's called hypocrisy. 
It's when we claim to be one thing and then we really are not really what we claim to be when it comes to our faith. Now, I suppose at some level we're all hypocrites about something, right? We're not perfect, so we try to live a standard only to find out we're not really maybe measuring up sometimes. But if you were to ask people in the streets, why don't you go to church? You know what the, one of the most common uh, objections is, right? There are too many hypocrites in church. I'm not going to go to hip. I'm not going to go to church. Too many hypocrites in church. I, when I hear people say that to me, I don't. I don't go to church. Too many hypocrites. I say you ought to come to Foothills. We could use one more. I mean, we just <laughs> why not? But you know, we, none of us do like that. And yet, in this book of James that we're in this series that we started, Pastor Kevin kicked us off last week. It's called Trade School. It's got a kind of a construction theme. But in the book of James, what I love about the book of James is I think if you were to look at any of the 66 books of the Bible, what you would find that James would be near the top of the list when it comes to practicality. James wrote in a way that just basically said, hey, here's the bottom line. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Let me tell you what you need to do and how to do it. And this is pretty much what he did. And I appreciate that kind of writing. I like people who give me a bottom line. I want to know what I need to be doing. And this is what James writes about. And in James chapter 2, which we're going to look at, we won't have time to read the whole chapter. We'll kind of look at the whole chapter. But we're going to look at um, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 20. But James talks about this idea that if you're a follower of Jesus, your life ought to be markedly different than everybody else. There ought to be a significant difference when it comes to our faith because it isn't just something we say, it's something we do. And here's what it says. If you've got your Bibles, electronic devices, you can turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. If not, the words will be on the screen. And here's what he says. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I've entitled the message, Love in Action. Because this is really what James is talking about. And what I want to do today is, since we're in this series, Trade School, and it is kind of construction-oriented, I thought what I would do is kind of design the message sort of like a construction site. And what I mean by that is I'm going to give you a, an initial point that's going to be the foundation of what we're going to build on and what James talks about. But here's what's important. Just like any foundation of any building, that the foundation, if you don't have a good foundation, everything will crumble. And we're going to lay a foundation of what Scripture says, not just what, what James says, but what Scripture teaches about our salvation. First, because if you don't get the foundation, you won't understand what James is trying to say. So here's the first point. Here's our foundation. And it's this. We are saved by who we know, not what we do. This is important, and a lot of people miss this. We're saved by who we know, not 
what we do. Now, throughout Scripture, we're taught that our salvation is not a result of us working to get it. We're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we're religious. We're not saved for any other reason except for what Jesus did for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that you don't earn. It's, it's given to you. God saved you by his grace when you believe. Now, the word believe there is not just mental agreement of something. It, it's, it's, it's heartfelt. It's something that it, it, it's trust. It's faith. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now, here's the thing. I think it's pretty clear there that our salvation is not of ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not about me earning my way to heaven. And yet, some polls uh, have shown that most Americans believe this is to be the case. 53% of Americans in one survey that I saw said that they believe that you, we, we can go to heaven by doing good things. It's like if I do enough good things that I'll earn my way to heaven. It's kind of like God is a scale. And if I do enough good things, like, and not a, quite as many bad things, that I can tip the scale in my favor, and somehow then I'll go to heaven and God will save me. 53% of Americans. Now, here's what's, I mean, you would expect that, right? People who don't know the truth. But here's something even more sad. 34% of Christians actually surveyed believe this. Like a third of the Christians believe that it, our salvation is based on whether or not we're good or we do enough good things. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We're saved by grace, by unmerited favor, nothing that we did. But when we believe, believe what? That Jesus died for our sins and he wants a relationship with us. And when we believe, we place our faith in him. That's what it's about. That's, what's, that's where salvation comes. See, religion, here's the thing about religion. Religion Christianity is not religion. I know it's considered one of the major religions, but at its core, it's not a religion because religion teaches us all about what you do. Christianity teaches about who you know. Religion is about, is man's attempt to reach God, right? That's what we do. A man trying to reach this God, this unattainable God, and they think, but if I, if I do enough good things, maybe I can gain his favor, and maybe there God will accept me and I can earn my salvation. That's what religion teaches, but that's not Christianity. Christianity teaches that, that, uh, that God is reaching down to man, that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, reached down to us because we couldn't reach up enough to do enough good things to save ourselves. And that's the good news of the gospel, that we can't do it, and God can. And I know there's a lot of confusion about this. A lot of people that I talk to, I've talked to so many people over the years, and when we get into this conversation about eternity, they're convinced that they've just got to do one more good thing, one more good thing, and hopefully at the end, you know, when it's all said and done, that, you know, that, that I've tipped the scale in my favor. But it's all about the grace of God. It's like the funny story about the guy who dies. And he goes up to heaven, he's at the pearly gates with Peter. I don't know why Peter's always at the pearly gates, but he's there, all right? So in this story, just go with me, all right? So he's at, he meets, he meets uh, Peter there, and Peter says, hey, glad you're here, but i got to tell you that there's kind of like this entrance deal we've got going here, and you have, to, you have to have a million points to get into heaven. And the way you get these million points is, you know, some of the things you did on earth. 
And so go ahead and let's tally up your score. And so the guy's like, man, I got this. A million points. That ain't me. That's got to be my problem. No problem at all. He goes, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never once did I cheat on her. I didn't even look at another woman. Peter says, that's awesome. Three points. And I was like, three points? He goes, anything else? He goes, yeah, you know, I went to church. Like every Sunday, I served, I tithed 10% of my income to church. I I did, I mean, I was so regular at church, it was amazing. Peter said, fantastic. It's one point. It's like one point? What else you got? He said, well, I started a, a homeless shelter in my town. I did a, began a food bank. I helped little ladies across the street. Peter's like, great. Two points. Guys like, you gotta be kidding me. Is that this, at, this, at this rate, the only way I'm gonna get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, bingo, you're in. That's it. <laughs> it's the grace of God. You can't earn this thing, man. That's how it works. Aren't you glad? It isn't up to us. It's what God. So, so here's the deal. Here's, listen to what James says about this. We didn't read this earlier, but it's, it's in chapter two. He says, for the person, listen, this is, this is anybody that thinks that if I'm just good enough. It says, for the person who keeps all of the laws, except one. All of the laws, except one. One is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. James is basically saying, you know that whole idea of the scale thing here? That if I do enough good things? Here's what James basically is saying. Look, you can be really good. Like only, only break one of God's laws in. And there is no way to tip that scale in your favor except through the blood of Jesus. And then the scale is forever tipped in our favor because of what Jesus did. That's what the Bible says. That's the foundation. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand what James says later because it's going to seem a little confusing. Because it's almost going to sound like a contradiction, but it's not because that's the foundation. Now let's look at what, we, what, what James is really saying, this whole idea of love and action about what this uh, Christianity ought to work and how we should be living and not be that, doing that kind of that false advertising. And here's what he says. Well, he didn't say this, but this is the way I put it. Number two, you can do good without knowing God, but you can't know God without doing good. You can do good without knowing God, but you can't know God without doing good. That's what James basically said. Like we know there's a lot of people who've done a lot of good things, philanthropic things, helping, you know, donating time and money to great organizations that help a lot of people that don't even know God, don't claim God, and reject God, but they're doing good things without knowing God. You can do good things without knowing God. You, you can, I didn't say you can be good without knowing God because none of us are good. We just talked about that. The Bible says none is righteous. There's none righteous, not one. But you can do good without knowing God. But you can't know God without doing good. This is, what the, this is where James is saying, hey, this, a Christian who's not living it out, that's an oxymoron. It's, it's, it's two things that don't fit with each other. We have to, our lives ought to display our faith in Christ. Here's what he says. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, we know it's no good. 
Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that, does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now, again, this is not a contradiction to what we just read in Ephesians 2, which said we we're saved by God's grace when we believed. It's not of work, so none of us can boast about it. It's not a reward for the things we've done. Does this contradict that? No, because what James is saying, he says, look, the evidence of salvation is going to be what you do. Not, you don't earn your salvation by what you do, but you, you're going to show the world that you're a follower of Jesus by how you live. It's, it's, it's what a lot of Christians never get around to doing. That's why he used the example. Suppose you see somebody who has a need and you don't meet it and you have the means to do it and you just say, hey, have a nice life. He's basically saying, hey, this is a scenario that just doesn't fit with a follower of Jesus. We, there's, there's this idea that, that our salvation is... is is, is us giving our life to Jesus, but the evidence of that salvation is a life that is committed to doing the things that God's called us to do. So when you look at this, he said that earlier, I said that, he said faith without works is dead. It's basically what he's saying. If you have, say you have faith, but there is no evidence of that by the way you live your life, that you really don't have faith to begin with. You're not getting that, you're not getting a relationship with Jesus through what you do, when you believe that's established. But now you have to live out your life for Jesus. Now, let me tell you what Jesus said about this, okay? Because on the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses this indirectly. And I believe it's one of the most chilling passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Because what we're going to find out is there are a lot of people confused about this. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. Now, I want you to notice something in the scripture. For there's a lot there. One of the things is there's going to be a lot of surprised people on Judgment Day who think because they've done a lot of religious activity in Jesus' name are going to get into heaven. And Jesus said there are going to be many people on that day who are going to say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these things? Haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name? But I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, get away from me. Depart from me. And here's the key. I never knew you. It will always go back to this relationship with Jesus. The, by Salvation is by God's grace when we believe. That's the point That's what we're talking about. 
And there are going to be a lot of people on that judgment day who are confused because they've done religious activity. They have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They've done the works. They've done good things without knowing God because that's possible. But you can't know God and not do good things. Let me tell you the last thing here. And I think this one is going to really challenge us if that one didn't challenge you enough. And this is going to weave into the earlier part of James, which we didn't read, we'll look at. And that is what, here's what it teaches. To, to love my neighbor, I must build bridges rather than walls. To love my neighbor, we hear that phrase a lot, love your neighbor as yourself. To love my neighbor, I need to build bridges rather than walls. Now, here's the thing. When you look at what James says and what other parts of the Bible teaches is that this whole idea for a lot of us um, we're good at building walls around us as Christians. Like, it's, we, we get in this holy huddle mentality, like it's us four, no more, and we build these walls around anything out there that can contaminate us. And we get so insulated from the world that we, we don't build bridges, we're building walls. Hey, you're different than me. You think different than me. You have different values than me. Stay away from me. But that's not how Jesus lived. Jesus lived as a bridge builder, not a wall builder. Remember some of the stories about Jesus entering the lives of people that nobody else wanted to. Everybody else had put up walls against these people, like the woman, the Samaritan woman who came to draw water. Remember that story? This woman had been married five times, five failed marriages. She's living with a guy now. Nobody else wants to deal with her. She's the outcast. But Jesus is a bridge builder, and Jesus meets her where she's at. And Jesus tells her that he can have, she can have a relationship with him that will lead to have this living water, this, this fulfillment that she's looking for trying to find in these relationships. He was a bridge builder. Or the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Remember her? Everybody else had built walls. They were ready to throw stones. And Jesus said, hey, if he is without sin. Cast the first stone. And he said it. To the woman, I don't condemn you. Everybody else may be trying to condemn you, but I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he wasn't giving her a pass. He said, go and sin no more. But he was, he was building a bridge to her. And we, if we're followers of Jesus, we've got to get bitter at loving our neighbors. And the way you do that is you build a bridge, not a wall. Now, the neighbor thing is where a lot of people get confused. Love your neighbor. I mean, that's part of the great commandment. Love God, love others, right? And the confusion comes is who's my neighbor? Like, I think most of us, what we think is, okay, I love my neighbor, but we think in terms of literal neighbors. The people down the street, the people in our subdivision, the people who think like us, vote like us, act like us, have the same values as us, that's my neighbor. They're easy to love, by the way, because they're like you. That's not what the Bible, the Bible does not teach it. The Bible teaches that we're to love everybody. In fact, Jesus, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus drills down because someone said, hey, who is my neighbor? And Jesus basically says, anybody that's not you is your neighbor, including the people who you don't, who, you know, you don't vote like, look like, act like, share the same values. You love them. And the way you do that is you build a bridge. You don't build a wall. And that's hard to do because we, we live in a day and age where there's just so much, there's so many walls. So many walls. In James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this. 
Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. It's sinful. When we show favoritism or prejudice or racism, that's what the Bible teaches. So let me do something. I've done this before, but I want to do it again. I think for a lot of us, we may not show that the type of favoritism we're going to see in a minute that James talks about, but we have our own prejudices. We, we've built walls to protect ourselves from other people, and we haven't, we haven't built bridges in a lot of those cases. So what I want to do, I think if I ask any of us, are you prejudiced? Nobody would raise their hand and go, yeah, I'm prejudiced. We'd say, not me. Not me. If you've ever started a a conversation by saying, I'm not prejudiced, but you're prejudiced, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. Whatever is coming out of your mouth after that's got some prejudice to it. But I'm going to give you a prejudice quiz, and I want you to grade yourself. Because what we do is we stereotype people, we categorize people, and we, and we just kind of like, okay. So I want you to grade yourself. And I want you to answer if you're prejudiced or not, because then we're going to come back to this whole idea of building a bridge. First question. How do you feel when you, your initial gut reaction, how do you feel when you see an interracial couple? How do you feel? I am so thankful at Foothills. We have so many interracial couples. And I've had conversations with many of them who have told me this, this is so sad, that they, and I, I, don't, I know there are other churches that, that are, are, you know, like us when it comes to opening the doors for everybody, but this is what they've told me, is that the only church that they've ever felt comfortable in is Foothills because they know they're accepted and loved here. How do you feel when you hear a New York accent? Seriously, how do you get, I mean, is there something inside of you that goes, whoa? How do you feel when you hear a Southern accent? Right at home, right? But if we were to ask somebody in New York, they might feel different, right? How would you, how would you feel if you heard that an Hispanic family was moving in next door to you? What would be your initial reaction? I'm so thankful for Foothills Espanol. They had our long, uh, kind of our previous service last week. I was there during our second service. They haven't even launched yet. And we had almost 70 people there last week. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Pastor Ramphis, I don't know a word he's saying, but I'm having a good time when I'm just listening <laughs> over there. So amazing. And it's so good. The, large, the fastest growing demographic in our county is the Hispanic population. We need to build bridges. That's what Foothills Espanol, it's a bridge. Have you ever used the phrase, the phrase, why don't those people just go back where they came from? Do you think all white people are rich and, and, and entitled and privileged? Do you think all black people are good at basketball? I mean, I know it's, 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 we say it's funny, but we stereotype, don't we? 
Do we, do we have these images in our mind? Do you think all Japanese people are good with electronics? Do you think all northern, don't answer this out loud. Do, do you think all northerners are loud and pushy? Do you think all southerners are rednecks with third grade educations? Do you think all Middle Easterners are terrorists? I got to be honest with you. I got on a plane one time. There was a, it was during all of that stuff. And a guy from the Middle East came and was on a plane. Everybody was watching, including me. Like, is, what's he, what is he doing? I mean, come on. Give the guy a break, right? But that's what we do. Do you think all Jewish people are rich? Do you think all Christians are hypocrites? We just said we all are, so yes, in one way or another. Do you use derogatory slangs to describe different groups of people? Do you refer to certain groups of people as those people? You see how deep it's entrenched in us? Most of us probably wouldn't, you know, you know once we think about it, we go, no. I don't. But, but our initial kind of visceral act, reaction to those things sometimes is different because we've got these layers of, of, of prejudice and favoritism and we do all these things. And, and what the Bible says is that we've got to work through this because it's, it's incumbent on us as followers of Jesus to build bridges to people and not build these walls. And we could go, we could make up another 50, 100,000 questions to really get to the root of this. But all I'm trying to get to when I'm talking about this is saying, hey, let's not, you know, that whole idea of let's not, uh, let's remove the plank out of our eyes before we remove the speck out of our brother's eyes. You, we, we've got enough planks. James says this. He says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? He uses a different example than I used. He talked about a rich guy and a poor guy coming into a church service. And apparently what maybe they were doing is the rich guy with a lot of money, a lot of bling, hey, we got a good seat for you. Come on right up here. Poor guy, oh, you go back there or sit on the floor. In those days, there was a lot of other kind of prejudice going on. Between the Jews and the Gentiles, it was a big deal. The Jewish people, they were God's people. They looked down their nose on anybody who wasn't Jewish. Any Gentile is like, no, they're dirty. And God had to break them of that. It's just, it's, it's just kind of seeped into our culture. In James chapter 2, and verse 15 and 16, it says, he uses the example I read a second ago, again, about building these bridges. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good, good day and stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? In other words, you had an opportunity with somebody who was less fortunate than you that you could have built a bridge with, but you, instead you built a wall. And you made it sound good by saying, hey, have a good life, but you didn't do anything about it. This is... This is why I'm saying, remember I said James is like just so practical, rubber meets the road. Hey, this is what you need to do. And it, and it gets right in our business, right? It, it's just like it hits us where we don't like to be hit. And he's like, ah, I don't. 
This whole thing is a challenge. In Galatians chapter 3, listen to what God says to to the Apostle Paul. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's the common denominator. You know what I love about Foothills, and I I know I say this all the time, but I love our diversity, don't you? This is an amazing cross-section of our community that gathers here. Part of this church, we have every race. We have different nationalities. We have rich, poor. We, we like to say Mercedes to mopeds. We have, you know, just you know, people that, that, that are South Carolina fans, Clemson fans, <laughs> Pastor Kevin, even Alabama fans. We've got, we've got every, every bit of diversity you can think of. We got it. And I love it because that's what heaven's going to look like. And if you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. You're not. Because God, God loves everybody. And I'm telling you, this is, this is something that James had to address because there was a lot of deep-seated prejudice in that day, and there is in our culture as well. And God, in Galatians, what I just read, God, what he did is he said, look, there's none of that. We're all at one in Christ Jesus. He built a bridge where there was a wall. And if you think about it, isn't that what Jesus is? Jesus himself not only was a bridge builder, but Jesus was a bridge he was the, the only one a mediator between a holy God and a sinful man. Jesus was that bridge. We were separated from God, this holy God, because of our sin. And Jesus laid down his life to, to, for this bridge, and the bridge looks, is in the shape of a cross. And because of what Jesus did now, we can come to God. He desires that relationship. And he, he's, he laid down his life for us, and he died a painful death for us so that we can have a relationship with God. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's about bringing us together. We were separated from God. There was a wall, but Jesus came and built a bridge. And that's what we ought to be about. President Ronald Reagan, in 1987, gave one of his most famous speeches. The Berlin Wall was constructed in 1961 to separate East and West Germany. And in 1987, when President Reagan challenged Mikhail Gorbachev to tear down the wall as a symbol of increasing freedom in the, in the Eastern Bloc, you, some of you remember that. And here's part of the speech. He said, there is one sign the Soviets can make that would, that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, If you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And eventually the wall came down. Walls are about separation. Bridges are about connecting and joining people. And that's what Jesus is about. And that's how we ought to live our lives. That's what James says. That's what the rest of Scripture says. That's what Jesus taught and lived. It's for us to just say, it's not enough to just say, yeah, I I love God, but we ought to be producing those, the evidence of that in the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that, that our value system is. And that includes these bridges to other groups of people and people who don't know Jesus so that the gospel can touch their lives as well. That's what it's all about. 
You can disagree with people and the way they live their lives and all of those things and still love them. Did you know that? You don't have to agree with the way people live their lives or their set of values if it's in contradiction to the scripture, but you're still required to love them. And that's challenging, right? I said this is so hard to do. And that's what we're called to do. So let me just wrap up by kind of segmenting this last portion. First of all, I want to send it back to Pendleton. Can we say goodbye to Pendleton campus? See you guys. But I'm going to end it this way. Okay, so there's, there's some people here that probably have never really placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You have thought all this time, if I just do enough good things, that somehow God will accept me. Somehow at the end, of, you know, when I you know, face judgment, maybe God will weigh out the scale in my favor. Look, that'll never work. You've got to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He died for you. He proved his love for you. And he wants a relationship with you. But now you have to trust and believe. That grace is extended to you. Now you have to trust Jesus. And I'm going to give you that opportunity in a minute. But there's others of us that probably most of us in this room have done that. But we're, I mean, if we're honest, we realize, man, I got a lot of, there's just a lot of bait and switch going on in my life. Like I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've got, I, I read that list and I think of other things. Maybe I've got, I've got some things going on I need to deal, deal with. I've got a, a lot of walls built up against some groups of people and I need to deal with that. Maybe that's where you need to deal with today. Maybe it's for you, then it's that whole idea of, of, you know, not doing good. Like, you know God, but you're not really living it out. And that's just, you know, that tension has really bothered you. Maybe today just lay it at Jesus' feet and say, I want, I want to be different now. So let's pray together. We'll wrap things up. Father, I thank you that for the challenges of a book like James that just really causes us to I mean, to, to really look at our lives, to evaluate how we think, how we live. And I'm thankful that our church has done a great job of, of being a church that, that says, you come in, we, we love you. We don't care what you've done. We want to introduce you to the one that can change your life. And Lord, I know there are probably people who today were maybe are here as an invitation from somebody to said, hey, come to Foothills, it's different. And they showed up today and they didn't know what to expect, but maybe your Holy Spirit right now is working in their lives and they realize that they've been trying to live their life on this good works, just got to do better, got to do religious things and, 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 and been on that hamster wheel. It can never really get freedom. And that, you, that today they heard something that said, man, if I will place my faith in Jesus and make a commitment to Jesus, that it's going to be settled once and for all and my sins will be forgiven. I'll be a child of God, not based on what I do, but, but what he has done. And if that's you today and you're willing to give your life to Jesus, maybe offer a prayer like this, Jesus, right here, right now, I give you control of my life. I believe you died on that cross for me and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. God, I pray for the rest of us who maybe when we heard one of those, maybe one of those things, maybe we even laughed about it because it was a little funny, but maybe there was something we realized, you know what, I do feel differently about different groups of people. And I realized, just like James said, those kind of things are, things are sin. And so, God, I pray that you, your, your children here today, God, you do kind of this 
I don't know, just take an inventory in our own life right now. Point out those areas. Maybe a group of people, maybe some, something, whatever it is, God, we just, we just confess it and ask you help us to deal with it. God, I pray that each one of us, when we walk out of this room, as we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that the world would know because, first of all, our lives would be so different that we would, we would be build, building bridges in this community. We would love people unconditionally. And we would represent you well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.